Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, in case you didn't notice, it's in the name, Resurrection, and that's what we're celebrating today on this Easter Sunday. Um, you know, we make the joke a lot that this is like our Super Bowl as a church. Uh, it's really the Super Bowl for every church to celebrate the resurrection. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, uh, we're delusional people, basically, is what he says. Like, we wouldn't have any reason to gather every single Sunday morning and celebrate or worship or have anything to gather around if Jesus wasn't raised again. And so today is the day where we as a church focus in on celebrating that resurrection by Jesus. So I want to thank you for being here this Sunday morning, whether you're gathering with us here in person uh, or online. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we will head into our sermon for this morning. Lord, thank you that you have been raised from the dead. You have given us a living hope. Lord, not a hope of, of some philosophy to follow, of some uh, good advice, God, that we can apply to our lives, that we can try to keep in mind as we go about our day, um, Lord, but actually something that changes the conditions of the world that we live in, of death leading to life, God, of a conquering of our fears, of the things that we may uh, look to, God, that we feel are overwhelming. Lord, you have shown us by conquering death itself that uh, you overcome them. And the world has never been the same since then. And I pray that as we celebrate that today, you would be with us and you would uh, help us to feel that, to experience it, to know it to be true, God. Um, no matter what we, we come into this Easter, uh, whatever baggage we may come into it with, God, that we would, we would know that, we would experience that. We pray this in the name of the risen King Jesus. Amen. So for this Easter, I want to, uh, I actually want to start at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You know, like this is kind of typically a celebration of the end of Jesus' ministry, right? His death and his resurrection. But I actually want to start at the beginning of it today. Because you know, resurrection, what we're celebrating today, is the center of our faith. But in order to really understand it, you kind of need to know the context within which it takes place. It's not just like a cool one-off event. It is something that happens in the context of other things that Jesus was doing. So, like, if I tell you that I hit a half-court shot on a basketball court, you might think that's pretty cool, right? But you'd be like, whatever, he just was in a gym and you know, he probably took like a hundred other shots before he finally made that one, right? It wouldn't mean a whole lot. But then if I told you there was more context to it, that I, you know, hit it in the NCAA March Madness Tournament Championship with one second left and we were down by two and that actually won us the game, that would add a whole lot more to that event, right? And resurrection of Jesus is like that. The context of it really matters, because it fits into, you know, it's, it's like the final piece in the puzzle of everything that Jesus has been doing to create this sort of big picture of what God is up to in Jesus. So it matters for us to understand that context, and so I want to talk about that a little bit today. So Jesus has this moment early on in his ministry where he announces himself to people. Um, he kind of lets everyone know what he thinks he's up to, what he's about to start, and he sets the sort of context for his ministry. And in Luke, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, we're told about this. It's in Luke chapter 4. It's after Jesus' testing in the wilderness. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And he goes to the synagogue one Sabbath. 
he opens up a scroll and he reads from it. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after that, Luke tells us that uh, Jesus rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. They're glued to him. And he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he doesn't just read it. He says, this is coming true for you today. Okay, this is kind of a, you know, I want to help us understand the picture here a little bit. Imagine we're sitting in church one day and someone, you know, comes up during the announcement time maybe, and they're like, they read a scripture passage and they say it's going to be fulfilled in our hearing. It'd be a little weird, probably. I actually was in a church where something like this happened once. Um, uh, you know, someone came up during the announcement time and uh, said that they felt like they'd been called by God to build an exact replica of Noah's Ark and sail it down the Mississippi River to try to bring glory to God's name. Now, you probably would have heard about that if he actually followed through on it. Uh, he didn't. Not a surprise, maybe. Um, but the, the reaction in the room was like, what's happening right now, right? That's what's going on in the synagogue here. Um, but some people are initially excited about Jesus, and, and we know other people in this time period, other kind of so-called messiahs, they would, they would claim similar fulfillments were happening through them, okay? It's not totally wild that Jesus would do this. But it would make Jesus kind of a narcissist or a crazy person to read that and claim it if it wasn't actually true. Okay, that after the fact, looking back on his ministry and saying, like, none of this stuff really took place, we would say this guy was kind of a crazy person or just a, a narcissist, right? Um, he ended up a dead man just like everybody else. The scroll that Jesus opened was this Isaiah scroll. And he quotes from what we now call Isaiah 61 and 58. Now, here's something you should know when you read Scripture. If someone in, in Scripture quotes or alludes to some other passage in Scripture, it's not just like cherry-picking a line that fits well. It, it's supposed to draw the whole context of that passage into it. Um, and so if you really want to understand it, you should actually go back and read the whole uh, previous passage it's being quoted or alluded to to understand the quotation. I've heard this called hyperlinking sometimes, which I think is a cool way to think about it. The real bougie word for it is metalepsis. If you want to sound really smart at, a, at an Easter gathering today and you want to you know, drop a big word into something, you can say metalepsis. My pastor talked about metalepsis today. Um, what I want to do today, though, is I want to read Isaiah 61. And I want to offer a reflection on it and how Jesus' fulfillment of it in the resurrection gives context for Easter, okay? And as I read it, I'm going to read through the whole passage. It's only 11 verses, so it's not super long. I actually want to have you stand up, okay? This is something we, we don't do often, but I think it helps us to kind of, you know, to, to be present with the passage as we stand, as we posture our bodies uh, towards it. And as I read it, I just want you to listen and really ask yourself, which of these things as I read through this, do I really find myself resonating with today? Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed, and he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies." 
To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations." Foreigners will be your servants. They will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize they are a people the Lord has blessed. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me in the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels." The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring, with plants springing up everywhere. Okay, let that soak in a little. You guys can take a seat, though. So Isaiah 61, this passage that Jesus is quoting from on this Sabbath morning, is told from the perspective of someone who has been anointed by God's Spirit to accomplish something fantastic, something epic, on behalf of God's people in the world. And Jesus is claiming to take on this persona, and all God will accomplish through it, the sort of reconstitution of Israel and the whole world, on himself and in his ministry. And in it, Isaiah is offering this word of comfort. That actually shows up in verse 2, which is a major theme of this part of Isaiah. People in need of comfort, being comforted by God, where he is saying, I will return to you one day. I will restore your fortunes. I will do it in such a way that you cannot conceive of it. And he's, he is. He's preaching something that sort of stretches human imagination, I think, because we require experience often of things to really understand them, if you kind of have thought about that, right? So, like, we can kind of read something, and we can kind of be like, get it, you know, in our heads, in a sense. We can understand it, but to experience it is something else. So, like, last fall, I remember there was, like, it was, like, fall, winter. I don't remember exactly when it was, but there was going to be this, like, crazy storm we were supposed to get, and uh, we were, Julie and I were walking our dog earlier that day, and some random guy was walking by us, and he's just like, you hear about the storm tonight? It's going to be gusts of 80 to 90 mile per hour winds. And I was like, I had not heard that. Um, but I was thinking, like, <laughs> it's a lot, to, you know, I, I can understand 80 to 90 mile per hour winds. Those are fast winds. But I don't think I've ever lived through that. And so to actually consider what it would be like as I was thinking throughout the rest of the day, it never got that high. Like, the winds never got that high. I, don't even, I think this guy was making it up a little bit. I think he was stretching it a little bit. But I remember hearing that and being like, I don't even know what that's like to experience 80 to 90 mile hour winds. Like, should I tie my car to the ground? Like, I don't know what, 
like what I should be doing to prepare for something like that, right? Like, is a tree going to go through our house? Like, we have a big tree next to our house. Like, should we not sleep in our bedroom? Because if we do, the tree's going to land right on top of us. Like, that's where it would come. So that's what I was thinking in my head, because I get wind, right? And I know 80, 90 mile per hour winds are a lot, but I never experienced that. So I don't really know what it would be like to, to live with that. I think that's how we read this passage, right? Is God is talking about massive things, but we rarely comprehend it on the scale that it's intended. I think that's a lot of times when we read scripture, that's what we find. It's like we can't really, we don't know for sure what this means, like, because we don't fully experience it all the time. And so looking backwards, a guy being raised from the dead, we get death, right? We know what it's like for people to die we can at least, in a, in, a, in a sense, understand what it might be like for someone who we loved, who has gone from us, to come back to life again. Or for ourselves, to not have to fear dying. We can get that to a degree because we experience death. We've seen it. And the resurrection of Jesus is the event that makes you look back on what Jesus says here and say, yeah, this guy was serious. What he said was, was taking place. I can believe it because he didn't stay dead. He came back to life again. Theologians call this Jesus' sort of vindication, his confirmation of him and his ministry. The resurrection is that. It makes us look back on everything else Jesus did and said and say, you know what? I have a hard time believing some of this maybe, but if he really came back from the dead, I think I should take him seriously. I think I should believe this guy. I think I should trust that he wasn't crazy, that he was fulfilling what he said he was going to do, a rescue and reconstitution of Israel and the whole world. Okay, because I think among other things, like God intended the resurrection to grab people's attention because like newsflash, dead people don't come back to life again. I think that's why a hard time, a lot of, a lot of people have a hard time believing in the resurrection because they're like, this doesn't happen. We don't see it happen. And that's like the point, right? We don't see this happen every day. It's supposed to grab our attention and make us wonder about who this guy is and take him seriously and say, you know, maybe we should listen to what he had to say. Maybe we should believe it. Maybe what he said he was doing, he actually did it. That's what the resurrection is supposed to do in us. And now I know it can be hard for us, to, again, to conceive of this, what Jesus and Isaiah are saying, and believe it's true sometimes. Even resurrection can be tough, right? We, we ourselves, none of us have seen coming back from the dead. We believe it, but sometimes we might have a harder time than others in actually conceiving of it just like we have a hard time comprehending 90-mile-per-hour winds, so to speak. But there's an image in this passage that I want us to focus on because it's, I think, something we can feel. We can, we can understand it, which will help us to comprehend what Isaiah and Jesus are saying is being fulfilled through him and ultimately through his resurrection and to embrace the comfort that it's meant to deliver. I think God weaves uh, images into his world to be pictures of what he's doing. And the artists, the poets, the writers among us are really good at helping us to feel that. That's why we need them, I think, in the church, because they help us to feel and experience things in a way that kind of draw out of us like a response to real beauty, which can be hard to communicate sometimes. And this is why prophets like Isaiah use poetry or artful imagery to tell their points. Um, and I think images sometimes is good for us to focus on, right? Because uh, that kind of draws us into a sort of childlike faith, like a, 
you know what, I get this image that this thing is being drawn to. And I don't understand everything about how it works, but I, get the, I know the feeling I feel when I think about this thing. And that kind of has a response in me. I can trust or believe or hope or have whatever experience that the image is trying to draw out of me. And the image is this. It's in verse 11. It's still on the screen here. Uh, the, the Lord is making righteousness spring forth from a place where it shouldn't. Now, righteousness is the Hebrew word sadaka, which wraps a lot of things into it. Uh, it, it means rightness, uh, justice, truthfulness, vindication, redemption, and ultimately leads to shalom and completeness. Okay, that's what righteousness really means. It's a big, expansive word. It doesn't just mean some like moral quality of goodness or something like that, or like you passed some legal test. It, it, it's really drawing in a, a, a rightness, like Basically, the feeling you have when things are they're supposed to be, when something is in tune with rightness. Now, here's the image. This will bloom like flowers in spring. Rightness will bloom like flowers in spring with that kind of energy and life and certainty. It might take a little bit, but spring is inevitable. It always comes. It always springs up. And since Easter is during spring, the imagery, I think, is powerful as we reflect on the resurrection, because we really understand winter and spring here, maybe more than most people in the world, I would say, right? People who live in Minnesota, like, we get winter. And I think the people who Isaiah is writing to here and that Jesus is speaking to are people who are living in a kind of winter of the soul, okay? Things feel not right or complete or whole. Now, that's how we feel in winter a lot of times, right? Uh, like, Julie was watching a Hallmark Christmas movie earlier this year, and at the end of it, like, it was very cliche, right? They, like, they get together, and they kiss, and it starts snowing on them, right? And it's this, like, oh, my gosh, so beautiful. The snow is falling on them, right? And it's magical. I think that's how most people who don't live in Minnesota think winter is, <laughs> Right? But if you actually, like, if you were someone from Minnesota and that was happening, you'd be like, oh my gosh, you'd roll your eyes because, like, I have to shovel this now. I have to drive in it tomorrow, right? It's not, like, it's not, it's not that fun, right? Uh, winter here is tough, right? It, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, I think kudos for us. We should pat ourselves on the back regularly for, like, living through this every year. It's, it's not fun, right? Even with all of the, like, the advances and ways we can heat ourselves, like, it still can be hard to roll out of bed in the morning and be like, I'm not going to really get warm all day today. I'm, I'm managing the cold is all I'm actually doing. And you look outside during winter and you just see white and everything is dead for months. Like, that's hard. Like, that really does wear on you after a while. Uh, the trees are barren. There's no green anywhere. Green is like this color we associate with life. There's none of it for months at a time in Minnesota. Like, we live through that. We're, we're contained. We're stuck inside so often. We can't do the things that we enjoy. Whatever it is that you might like to get out and do, running, golfing, grilling, uh, you know, just sitting in the sun, playing softball, going to the park with your kids, uh, seeing neighbors out, etc. These are all things that are closed off from us or at least are much, 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 much harder than they should be to do. Right? It's just a season where we, things don't feel right, right? Maybe right away. Like, again, I'm not knocking winter. I actually do really enjoy winter for November and December. And then by January and February and March, 
in April. I'm like, can you please go? Can you please leave us alone? Leave us in peace. Come back next year, okay? But think about what that does to us. Like, like our hearts start to get hard. Have you noticed that? Like, as winter drags on, your heart start, starts to get hard, kind of frozen, like, kind of like the world around us. Like, we, we, a lot of times, you know, seasonal depression is a thing. You just kind of feel meh all the time, or maybe worse than that. And it kind of turns you inward. It puts you under a blanket. It kind of shuts you off from the world around you. That's what winter does after a while. It kind of drains you of hope a little bit. And it won't go away, right? Have you ever, this, this is such a great example of it this spring. It feels like, like spring is like in winter, it's like kind of coming, but it's like someone learning to drive stick shift. It's like, you know, it just can't, won't come, right? This spring is a good example of that. Like it just, it's like, Will winter please leave us alone, right? That's how we feel a lot of times. But consider this. Winter does always end, right? It's inevitable. We know it's going to end. And think about the feeling that you get as it starts to end and as it starts to become spring outside. For me, I know like as spring really starts to come, I like to run in the mornings. Getting up in the morning, not needing to wear special running gear just to, you know, survive outside. I can just throw a t-shirt on. To hear the birds chirping and the sun, like, piercing through the sky in the morning, my heart is like, oh, yeah, this is what it feels like to be alive. Like, I hadn't, I'd kind of forgotten for a few months what this felt like. But to re-experience that every year is really amazing. It just feels right. It just feels complete in a way that you haven't felt for a while as you've been trapped in winter. You feel like you've been stuck in this winter, right? But the smell and the sound and the feel of spring breaks you out of that. And it's one of the most vibrant moments I feel all year. Like, it's different. It's still, even, even that feeling of that dawning feels different than, like, in July or August. When you've been in that for a while, right, it's not as fresh anymore. Like, when it first comes, when it first starts to turn from winter to spring, that just feels incredible because it feels like anything is possible, right? Your mind starts to wander to all the things that are now possible to you, things that were closed off, that weren't possible, you know, in the months leading up to it. Spring always comes. And so though we know the sting of winter, we also know the promise that it will end, that spring will come, and the feeling that we will have when that happens. And it gives us hope to keep going in the middle of winter. Otherwise, we'd probably just give up. <laughs> if we're being honest, like, without the, the promise that winter, uh, spring would come, like, winter might become something we couldn't really live with. Easter, because of the resurrection, is the spring to our winters. Okay, vindication has happened, new life has sprung up, and God has made new paths which were once closed off. Now, Isaiah 61 speaks to many kinds of winters that God is coming to break by the power of his love and grace. These are just some of the words that are used in that passage. Brokenheartedness, feeling in captivity to something. And you can, you can you know, put in whatever type of captivity you might feel there. Pain, captivity to pain, to grief, to, to chronic illness, to childlessness, to sin or guilt, to trauma, some moment from your past you just feel like you can't escape from. Mourning, grieving in ashes, despair, feeling like you live in ruins of some kind, feeling like you live in shame or disgrace, being victims of injustice or robbery or wrongdoing or just being unacknowledged in it all by God. 
Maybe as I was reading Isaiah 61 before, you felt yourself known in one of those images. As you came, came to this Easter Sunday, you found yourself in this Easter season, you come in with some baggage of feeling like you're in some winter of the soul with no end in sight to that. And maybe it's been like this spring has been a little bit too, right? Where you've had some second winters. You thought things were turning over, changing, and then it's like, nope, just kidding. It's, gonna, it's snowing again, right? It's 30 degrees outside. You know, you felt it was in the 60s for a day or two, and then you're just stuck back in it, which honestly is more demoralizing, I feel like sometimes, right? Now listen, it's important for us to spend time in lament, Okay, we talk about that a lot at Res City. And I think, honestly, I feel like we're doing it because we've done such a poor job of it as like the church in the West for so long. I just was recently talking to a couple people who like uh, felt like the church had really failed them in like being with them in their lament. They were like, it's too positive all the time. And I don't feel like anyone there cares what I'm feeling. They don't want to be with me in it. I had a friend who, you know, recently, kind of at the, around the same time, had the death of a parent and then also had a child born to he and his wife who has some kind of severe health uh, things that are kind of affect this child for the rest of their life. It was a really heavy season, and he was like, I had a really hard time going to church because no one was with me in that season of lament. And I was at the dentist the other day, and the dental hygienist was telling me that her son had just died. And she felt like, I haven't really been going to church very much lately because I think the same reason. It just didn't feel like a place where I can be in lament. Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time for everything. And we need to be okay acknowledging when we're in some kind of winter of the soul. It's good for us to, you know, admit that, to just be in that season for a little bit. We can't rush through winter because we don't have the power to make winter stop. We don't, have the, we, we don't make spring come ourselves. It comes on its own. We have to wait for that sometimes. But at Easter, we celebrate that these winters that we may find ourselves in at different times in our lives, that we might be feeling right now, right at this moment, will give way to spring because Jesus has been raised. And I found myself, even as I was writing this and thinking about it, like telling myself, I need at least for a short time, to remind myself of that. I need to be reminded of that on a regular basis, right? To have every year a season where we allow ourselves to experience the feeling that things are going to be made new one day, that God doesn't just let us stay in our winters forever, that he makes gardens spring out of them. We need to enter those seasons periodically. And so this Easter, here's what I want you to do. Okay, I want this Easter to be a yearly reminder for you that winter becomes spring because Jesus is raised. I want you to, to feel that experience. As you feel yourself coming out of literal winter into spring, I want you to let it hit your heart around this time of year that what God is doing in raising Jesus or what he has done in raising Jesus to new life and inviting us to be a part of that, to experience the power of that resurrection let your attention be drawn to that. Let it be a reminder that God is making and will make things right because Jesus has been raised. Remind yourself, even if you are in a season of lament, okay, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that, to acknowledging you're in winter, remind yourself that our winters are temporary. Even the, the, the winter of sin and death and cosmic injustice that we're all subject to in this world has been broken because Jesus has been raised. And so while our winters may be hard, 
They may sap us of joy. They might last longer than we like. Easter is the day to step out of that hope, out in hope because of what Jesus has fulfilled. Just as our winters don't last forever, God is and will make all things new and right. Because the power of God to raise dead things to life again has been set loose in the world. This day, of all days of of the year, let's be people who live like that. And tomorrow might be a day for you to return to lament, okay? It's still cold outside. I wish that the season had, you know, lined up a little bit better with this message and it was a little warmer outside, <laughs> okay? Um, but like, you, you know, you might, you might return to a season of lament tomorrow. You might return to the reminder that you're in a bit of a winter in this season and that's okay. You should return to that. But today, let's be people who have hope that spring is coming and has come because Jesus has been raised. I'm going to pray for us. We're actually not going to take communion today like we normally do because, uh, listen, communion is a celebration of us, uh, of, of Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed for us. That's something we celebrate. The one day a year where we don't do that is the day we celebrate Jesus being raised again. Okay, and so in the same way that like uh, communion is supposed to be an experiential thing that we do, right? We eat and drink something. We experience it in our bodies. Today, let the practice of not celebrating it also hit you in a certain way, okay? As we don't celebrate it, as we celebrate Jesus' body not being broken and his blood not being shed because he's been raised to new life again, think about that today as as we uh, celebrate uh, Easter and as we worship God in response to the fact that our springs, uh, or our winters give way to spring. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that whatever winters we might be experiencing right now, God, and there are so many things, Lord, that we go through on a regular basis. This is a world that is, it's broken, God. It's in need of you to come and rescue it, to come uh, produce new life. To people who are in captivity, who are brokenhearted, people who are like the ones Isaiah writes to, or that Jesus uh, unrolls that scroll to at the beginning of his ministry and reads that to and promises that the reconstitution of all things is is being fulfilled in him. And we can know that because he's been vindicated in his resurrection, God. Um, Lord, we come, we come to you with all sorts of different winters, Lord. But I pray that on this day, you would help us to find hope. You'd help us to find peace and new life springing up from whatever winter we may be in, God. Because we know um, that winter does not last forever. Spring has come, and Lord, we will live in the, the summer of your love, God both in this lifetime and then finally one day when Christ returns and all things are made new. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.